God loves us and gives us Christ as our Savior without our repentance. God isn't looking to see something in us to make us forgivable. He gives us all this grace to bring us to repentance. Welcome to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. You're listening to episode 116. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for tuning in. Dr. J. Mark Beach, professor of ministerial and doctrinal studies, continues the conversation on forgiveness and repentance. This time he's going to be looking more closely at the function of repentance. What is involved in repentance relative to forgiveness? Here's Dr. Beach to help explain. Well, in this second talk dealing with uh, conditional forgiveness, the role of repentance in practicing forgiveness toward one another, and understanding God's forgiveness of us, and we as repenting uh, believers— what that repenting does. And what it doesn't do is form a ground upon which God says, oh, now you're forgivable. Because of this good work or this slight sanctification, this change in you, you're now in a position uh, for me to view you as forgivable. That's all in Christ Jesus, holy in Christ Jesus, all graciously bestowed and has nothing to do with our repentance But in fact, because of that, brings us to repentance. But with the second talk, I'd like to start out addressing the question of the function of uh, repentance unto forgiveness. And the first thing that repentance does, and we should be clear about, repentance is about truth. When someone confesses their sins, they're speaking with God, saying what God says, about their sins. They're saying that to themselves and to others. When I confess myself a sinner, I'm agreeing with God about me, about my misbehavior, my attitudes, my sinful attitudes and actions. It's about truth. And it's very clear to understand forgiveness is never saying the guilty party wasn't guilty. It's owning. In fact, when you repent, you're owning your guilt. You're saying with God, You're confessing the truth about yourself, and that truth then recognizes your wrongdoing. Another thing that repentance does is the guilty party expresses remorse, regret. Owning the truth that God says about it, given that, you also own regret. You you wish it had not happened. You wish you had not been that way or done that thing. So there's a sorrow built into that, a kind of uh, regret or contrition. And usually with that, a desire to rectify, not not all circumstances allow that, but a desire to rectify uh, a situation, to turn it around, to at least turn your life around, to live it in a new direction, to cease and desist that behavior or thought or action. And it also desires release from guilt. There, there can be a kind of repentance that doesn't look for uh, God to release from guilt, but they can look that the party they injured 
or the parties they injured would release them from the the debt, the guilt, the penalty that's that's their due. So repentance, uh, we should be very clear, includes truth. It it includes a, a desire to change, a regret of what we did, a new path is taken, uh, and a desire to be forgiven. But forgiveness, we need to remember, does not mean the offended party ignores or pretends he or she was not wronged. When you grant forgiveness, you're not acting like, I was never wrong. Uh, forget about it. You know, it, it didn't matter. It, it, it was nothing. No, when you're really forgiving someone, it was something. You were guilty, but I no longer hold you guilty. I'm not going to treat you according to what you deserve. In that sense, when you forgive someone, you bear the wrong. You uh, endure the wrong. But it doesn't mean you didn't count the wrong against the wrongdoer, but you release that person from the wrong they did to you. Now, we need to be clear. God doesn't wait for us to repent before he forgives. That might sound startling, but we need to pause a moment. Uh, Do you really want God to only love and grant and favor and embrace you until you're penitent enough. Rather, because he forgives us, we're enabled to repent. How might I express this? It's better to say that repentance is essential for the reception of forgiveness. So again, repentance is very important. How are we going to embrace God's forgiveness without repentance? We embrace Christ by faith, but we don't embrace Christ by repentance. We turn away from sin by repentance, but by faith we trust in Christ for our forgiveness. And indeed, we receive forgiveness by repenting. But it's important that we disown the notion that repentance actually becomes this ground or condition, a kind of earning our way, our right, uh, rendering God reactive. He's offered it, he's waiting, he's waiting, and now we did something worthy of something, and now the, the forgiveness trigger can be pulled. It's not a helpful way to think about it, and in fact, it won't work in terms of uh, our redemption in Christ. So why is it that some people reject the offer of forgiveness? Some Christians can say, for years, God held out his forgiveness and mercy and grace in Christ, but they rejected it. They rejected it in the way of non-repentance. They might even look, I need Christ by faith, but I'm not going to turn from this sin. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to chase it down. I'm going to indulge it. And until they turn from their sin, they're refusing a forgiveness that's been uh, accomplished for them. There's many believers who can give that testimony. And yet, when we forgive, what are we doing? We're condemning the doer and the deed, and the condemning is a process that includes a releasing of a person from the condemnation. 
So again, forgiveness is never a wink, a, a whatever. No, it's you were truly guilty, and now I release you from the condemnation, and that's what God does for us. So repentance is important. It's important and it's even essential for receiving forgiveness. You can't have your hands full of forgiveness while you're seeking to indulge the sins you need to be forgiven of. So in that sense, repentance is a condition, but it's a passive, it's a receptive, even a consequential kind of conditionality. And it's very important we embrace that. Otherwise, if we take this other model, this other way of thinking about it, we find that we're on a kind of carnival ride. That's how I like to uh, think about it. For example, if you follow out the thinking of a rigorous conditional, I will never forgive you until I see the adequate repentance in, in you, and maybe it is adequate. Okay, now I forgive you. What about the sins we don't know about? Now, if you want to make this like a model, what about sins you don't even recognize? They are sins. Other people have even called you on it, but you don't agree. No, it's not a sin. Uh, It's certainly not the case that all Christians at all times and all places and lands and situations have owned all their sins, repented. And I'm not, I can't think of a single Christian who could say, I know all my sins, I've confessed them all, I hate them all, I reject them all, I fight against them all. Uh, so what we want to say, oh, the sins I've repented of, there, there we go. That, those are the sins I'm forgiven, and all the other sins I'm not forgiven. So Christians are half-forgiven beings, uh, half reconciled to God, half in his favor. That's a carnival ride sort of, I call it a pendulum ship. You remember those at the carnival. So with each new offense, we swing up into the unforgiveness uh, atmosphere. And then upon repentance, we swing back down. And now we're back into, on the other side of the pendulum, into uh, God's favor, and uh, now our salvation's secure again, and now we, a new sin, swing back into the unforgiveness, until there is true, genuine repentance. So we're swinging back and forth between divine mercy and divine judgment. Well, the transactional model lends itself to that portrait And that's not the Christian life. That's not justification by faith alone. That's not a conscience free and pure. And it's not even a conscience that rests in grace, but is ever self-accusatory and uh, looking always inward, or simply giving up in arrogance and just giving yourself a free pass. Very unhelpful to think of my repentance is what constitutes a forgiveness trigger. So this functionality we've discussed makes us reflect a little more carefully on another aspect of this, and that is uh, how important it is to see that grace precedes 
repentance. Now, even transactional people will argue that the the bestowal is conditional. Let me rephrase that. They'll argue that the extension, the offer of forgiveness is unconditional, but forgiveness itself is very conditional. But do you want God's forgiveness of you and even how we forgive one another to rest mostly on the ground of now the the granting of forgiveness, not the offer of it, the granting. Do you want it to rest on our effort of repenting, uh, which is sometimes flimsy and wishy-washy and misinformed and at least kind of half-hearted? I've known people who repent, but they don't truly get the depth of what they did. They do repent to the degree they get it, but they don't get it very well. Uh, I could get personal here, which I'll resist. But am I then to, well, because you don't get the depth of your guilt and your repentance doesn't follow the depth of your guilt, you're still unforgiven. I will confront you until you get it. How many pastoral situations hasn't there been in which uh, two members within the church or at, uh, in, at some kind of disagreement in which they cannot agree on the nature of the wrongdoing, who did what, to what degree, what depth. Uh, they each extend the right hand of fellowship, and yet there's a crooked smile on their faces because they're each convinced, each convinced that the contrition is not deep enough and sincere enough. But consider this. Grace has to precede all of this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son without our repentance. Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, without our repentance. He suffered under Pontius Pilate without our repentance. He was crucified, dead, buried without our repentance, descended into hell without our repentance, arose again from the dead without our repentance, ascended into heaven without our repentance, sits at the right hand of God without our repentance. Grace precedes all of that. It's critical. God loves us and gives us Christ as our Savior without our repentance. God isn't looking to see something in us to make us forgivable. He gives us all this grace to bring us to repentance. Grace takes the lead. Love takes the lead. And he regenerates us, converts us without our repentance. It's upon conversion that we can be moved to repentance. And no one repents without a God who extends hands of mercy. The law can convict us and show us we're sinners. But the law, the strict Ten Commandments, cannot show us why we should turn to God for mercy. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why grace precedes repentance. And that's why we need to find our life in a grace that calls us to repentance. But note well, a loving, forgiving, redemptive, performing God stands in front of anything we do. Next week, Dr. Beach rounds out this discussion on conditional forgiveness and repentance by describing how to forgive like God forgives. You won't want to miss it. 
For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.